sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. We have a very interesting guest today. Uh, Brian Grimm is president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and very much an advocate for religious freedom in the business world in terms of how it's good for business and economics. Brian, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's great to be with you. And, you know, as I was discussing before the show, we did an interview with you some time back and talked about the general premise that religious freedom is good for business. Maybe it would be a good place to start and just explain why that is and then kind of how, how you and your organization work in this arena. Yeah, well, I can give a practical example uh, of a, a large tech company that I've gotten to know Salesforce. So they're a company that provides sort of the back-end uh, user interface for companies, organizations, everything from you know, large, other large corporations use their customer management system to uh, organizations like Compassion International, so uh, ministries to multinationals. And one sure, thing, we use them too. You use them. So yeah. uh, one of the um, things that their company has come around is to see that in order for uh, everybody to work their best, they need to be able to bring their whole self to work, faith and all. So about two years ago, they started uh, one of their employee groups called Faith Force at Salesforce, and it's now the fastest growing employee group uh, that they've ever started in the company. It's spread over five continents because they're a, you know a global company. Um, and what that does is it's one that uh, you know giving people freedom to bring their faith and you know their whole self to work makes people feel validated, makes them feel seen for who they are. Um, the person who helped found it in Seattle, one of the lesser or at least religious cities in the United States, um, is Sue Warnicke. And she had a conversion experience, became a Christian or a little over two years ago. And she started coming to work and said, you know, I see everything differently. You know, before I was a proud agnostic and now Faith is not just important, it's become the most important thing in my life. And so she started talking to the leaders and they said, you know, there's other people like this that feel like they have to hide their religious identity in a closet. And, you know, they're always, you know, feeling ill at ease at work. So let's let's break out of that. And so the company itself has, you know, you, you can have faith groups, you know, Christian groups, Muslim groups, Jewish groups. But this um, faith force is something that uh, is you know, sort of pulling everybody together. Other companies in Silicon Valley are taking note. And one of the sort of the business case for that, having that religious freedom within a company, is both the employee morale and retention and recruitment. Uh, when they have interns coming in, one summer they get a different things they could do at Faith Force. And the number one question that the interns were asking is, well, if I work at that Salesforce location, will they have a Faith Force? So, you know, some pent-up interest and demand for this. But there's also, just like you're, you use uh, uh, Salesforce, 
um, the fact that they're open and, you know, sort of open to religion and, and uh, you know, not pretending like religion doesn't exist also opens them to a huge market. And that's the other part where religious freedom is, uh, where it's good for business is that when people can bring their whole self to their task, whatever job it is, uh, that creates you know, both on the ministry side, new ministries and in business, new types of businesses. Um, so that's that's an example um, that sort of touches everywhere because it's a company that's providing back end service to uh, you know a lot of ministries, a lot of companies. Well, and you know we got involved because they offer their platform to nonprofits. So you know we have to pay to customize what we do, but we're not paying Salesforce, which is a very interesting you know model of of relating to nonprofits. Now, you know, you struck a chord with me, Brian, uh, perhaps unexpectedly by uh -huh. starting a discussion about this faith force in terms of how a company recognizes the importance of faith in its workers. Because my bread and butter as a lawyer is doing religious discrimination cases for workers of all faiths who, you know, suffer discrimination or they're not accommodated for various religious practices, whether it's as we're recording now in August, we've got Jewish holidays coming up and, you know, a lot of workers needing to take time off for various holidays. Uh, how is Salesforce finding that this faith force, uh, you know, program actually enhances in some sense uh, its bottom line, enhances its business? You know, what are the benefits that it feels it's reaping from, you know, creating this culture of respect for, you know, the, the religious identities and practices of its workers? Well, I can give uh, one example, or I can give several, but one, uh, there was in Silicon Valley now that's become known that Salesforce has a faith force. And there was a top tech engineer at one of the other large companies in Silicon Valley who just didn't feel like he could, you know, be himself, pray at work, felt like, you know, that might get him in trouble. So he Salesforce. And so right there you have uh, the fact that they're, you know, known to be faith friendly attracts talent and some top talent. And so the loss to the other company, of course, is a tremendous business gain to, um, to Salesforce. So that, I mean, that's one example. So when people feel discriminated against and, un and need to hide their faith in a closet, um, you know, their research shows that they're much more likely to be looking for a new job. And just like the case of this one guy, uh, you know, he looked and found it. And that was to Salesforce's benefit. Well, you know, it strikes me that this is maybe, in a sense, part of a larger debate in terms of leadership training. I'm dealing with a case right now where there's two different models of leadership. You know, one is kind of the authoritarian model. I'm the boss. You know, I make the rules. You do what I say. I say jump. You say how high. The other model, which my client says is biblically based and the only one that he could pursue as a leader is more collaborative, is, you know, working with the team, team building and getting buy-in and encouraging your team and supporting them, kind of a model of servant leadership. So it strikes me that, 
you know, some of these principles even are being uh, secularized, if you will, to create, you know, workforces that are more respectful of their workers than, um, you know, than kind of the traditional top-down leadership models. Yeah. Uh, I'll give an example from one company, Texas Instruments, which is a publicly traded company based in Dallas, but with work all around the world. Uh, in 30 years ago, so the senior uh, corporate advisor for my foundation is Kent Johnson, and he was senior legal counsel at Texas Instruments for decades. He just retired. Now he's working with me. And he says that what you described as the first culture is exactly what the culture was at Texas Instruments 30 years ago. It was top down. Everybody had a white shirt and black tie on and they were all white guys. And Mm -hmm. um, as things have changed, uh, you know, now, you know, the top talent is uh, doesn't look like that. And, you know, you go into companies and no. You know, you, you think of business people as in suits and ties, but in Salesforce, when I, I spoke there, and I was the only one that I saw with a tie on. And, you know, so it's the, the workplace has changed. People expect the workplace to um, be somewhat more like family or somewhat more of a, a place where they find meaning. And at Texas Instruments, they realized they had to change. And so over the past 20 to 30 years, they've had a huge culture shift that also coincided with them being becoming a very faith-friendly company. So they, they've been pioneers in having workplace employee groups, um, and it began with Christian group, and then it you know spread to Muslim, Jewish groups, and then they have some South Asian groups. Um, so, you know, right on the campus of Texas Instruments, you can have a church service going on, you know, or a prayer meeting in one one room and singing hymns. And the next one, you might be having, a, you know, a Muslim prayer. And, uh, and they've, uh, they've realized that in order to um, tap into uh, the, the, you know, the psyche of today's people, uh, they don't just look for orders to come down, but they expect, you know, to have their energy and compassion and their their passion uh, driving them. And that's one thing Kent Johnson that I mentioned, he said one reason that they found a tremendous benefit in in opening up the workplace to being more faith-friendly was then people brought all the, you could say, the good things that come with faith, um, sort of a a worldview and ethics. Not that people that don't have faith don't have ethics, but people then, um, you know, if if they know you're going to be known as a, a believer of, you know, some faith, then you have an extra sense of, well, I should live up to what my faith teaches. So some of that is really beneficial for companies because then, uh, you know, you can't police everybody's ethics all the time and make sure they're not cutting corners. And so, you know, to have that extra sense of responsibility uh, is something that also is part of a a benefit to workplaces sure. that have that culture. Brian, before the show began, we were talking about your work at Davos, something that, uh, you know, most of us, maybe we read about all these, you know, high powered, you know, wealthy uh, corporate titans and government leaders getting together and and talking global business. Um, uh, Do you have an experience of how faith impacts business from your work at Davos? Yeah, well, this past year I was invited to a dinner at the very end of Davos, and it was a Shabbat dinner that was started some years ago by Prime Minister Shimon Peres from Israel. 
And every year they get together billionaires from around the world, about 180 of them. And But this year they did something different. They said, let's share how our faith interacted with what we experienced here at Davos. And one of the guys got up and said, you know, I gave myself an 80th birthday present a, a year ago and took a bunch of eye doctors with Ethiopia to a town that needed some eye doctors. And, you know, those are some of the needs we hear about at Davos. And I did something about it. And he said, now, what are the rest of you going to do about it? So right at this very secular meeting, uh, you get to the sideline. And here I saw faith was a motivating factor in some of these, you know, very rich people. Uh, and that's not a story you hear every day coming out of uh, Davos. Brian, thank you so much for that inspiring story and for also telling us about this faith force. This is something that uh, I want to hear more about and see what we can do to spread it to other companies. Uh, it certainly is powerful when people of faith feel like they can feed their whole selves in the workplace. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we here at the Church State Council, uh, that's, that's our day job. So as we close, folks, remember, here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We're day by day helping workers suffering religious discrimination. So check out our legal resources page if you or someone you know uh, is in need of help. We're at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is definitely not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring. And you can find Marla, as we call it, on the web at religiousliberty.info. Be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on SoundCloud or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rodock. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. Freedom Ring.